A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We're speeding over here. Rolling over here. Rolling on a toilet. Okay. Podcast. Podcast. I have um, yet to do this one correctly all the way through. I kind of wrote myself a hard... A hard one this this time, so if I fuck up, don't laugh at me. We will. (laughs) (laughs) Who framed Roger? Roger Rabbit, Rabbit, Roger Rabbit, Rabbit. Who framed Roger? Roger Rabbit, Rabbit, Roger Rabbit, Rabbit. We're talking Robert Zemeckis Who framed Roger Roger Rabbit Rabbit Let me draw you a picture of a time way back when When cartoons couldn't share the screen with real men At least not in any kind of prolonged way But that all changed when Robert Zemeckis came and changed the game It was an idea inspired by Chinatown and noir flicks Animated killers and private dicks A buddy crime movie about a cartoon rabbit with a crazy tail Framed for the murder of a man that he didn't kill Only person trying to help this loon is a detective Who kind of fucking hates cartoons but he protects him Slowly pulls him out of his gloom But they got one big problem and his name's Judge Doom Christopher Lloyd in a black hat, big teeth, fake chin, glasses, scaring our asses. But the MVP of the picture is Bob Hoskins. What are we talking? Today on Cinema Possessor. <laughs> go, go. <laughs> Who framed Roger? Robert Roger. Today on Cinema Possessor. We're talking Alan Silvestri. Who framed Roger? Roger Rabbit, Rabbit, Roger Rabbit, Rabbit. going to get me mixed up. <laughs> uh. 
Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And I'm Justin Nijum. And with us, as always, is the Judge Doom of this podcast. I fucking knew you were going to say Judge Doom. You <laughs> Why didn't said you Jessica, say Rabbit. Jessica Rabbit. Thank you. I knew while we were watching the movie, I uh, even thought, uh-huh. he's going to fucking say the Judge well, Doom. Nobody loves dip more than you in my life. So that's oh why you're the judge dude for this podcast. Oh, uh, this, this podcast is going to end in divorce. <laughs> Each week, we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today. And in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be turned into DVD dip. Favorite dips, go. Ranch. Guacamole. Spinach artichoke. artichoke. Crab oh, Here's one. Dip. Arkansas cheese dip. Oh, hell yeah. Queso, mm. white queso, which you've is had, Arkansas cheese dip. You've had dip. the white queso Arkansas cheese dip before, right, Justin? Possibly. I feel like we must have yeah. made you it's eat truly it. truly the yeah. best thing on this planet. You cannot find you can't. Arkansas cheese dip in Los Angeles. If you're listening in Arkansas mm. right now, I ask you to go to La Hacienda right now and order a white cheese dip in my honor. I will say that there's a place here called Home State in Los Angeles that has really good burritos and they have a great yellow cheese dip. It's kind of an orange. It's like a Tex-Mex style. That I've is, never seen a single burrito on the menu, only tacos. Yeah, I don't you know if there are burritos on the menu. They don't have a burrito? I don't think so. I think it's all tacos. Breakfast tacos, delicious. Hmm. Other Doesn't tacos it feel like too? they should have a burrito? They don't, because I don't think they have rice. Okay. Well, they get yeah, breakfast tacos. They also have regular tacos, too. The breakfast tacos are... But the, the standout thing for me is their cheese dip, which is pretty close to a yellow Arkansas cheese dip. It's the closest thing that LA has, but nobody's got a white one. Heads up to all you actors and writers out there. If you're on strike, show that card, and they'll give you 10% off right now. Not sponsored. Do you like bitchin' dip, Justin? You ever had that? It's okay. It's okay. We were talking about it the other day. Definitely, uh, it's good. Yeah, in a pinch, it's a good, like, just Mm -hmm. buy it off the shelf. But the better vegan version to me than Bitchin' Dip is the Honest Stand. Have you had them? Honest Stand? I think it's called the Honest Stand. They're spicy queso. Woo! It's good. Mm. I used to love Taco Bell's nacho cheese sauce. That's basically just like melted love, Velveeta, though, right? Love, it's melt, melted plastic. Justin, <laughs> used to love? Yeah. If it, if it came... <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, well, speaking of dip, Justin, what movie are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about 1988's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. What is wrong with that take? This is the tale of an up-and-coming movie star named Roger Rabbit and a down-and-out private detective stay named Eddie Valiant. Ooga booga! Every moment they were together ah! was a new adventure in trouble. Hi, me, Eddie. Please. It's a motion picture about oh, friendship. Love. <laughs> Compassion. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I yanked your ears. Murder. Marvin Acme. A rabbit cacked him last night. Sex. I'd do anything for my husband, Mr. Valiant. Anything. And violence. Tunes gets him every time. It's a comedy a little different from all the rest. 
Christ, I'm a tomb. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. But tell me, Eddie, is that a rabbit in your pocket? Are you just happy to see me? Touchstone Pictures and Steven Spielberg present a Robert Zemeckis film. We tombs may act idiotic, but we're not stupid. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Mm. Great trailer. Mm. I want to mm. do a little research on this guy who voiced this trailer and the guy who voices almost all the other ones that we've ever listened to because I feel like they were the two yeah, voiceover there, guys. There's a documentary about voiceover trailer. It's always either this guy or the guy who did the all the other ones. I'm blanking on his name. I used to know. I don't think he was this guy. I knew the inner world guy. The inner world guy is who we usually hear, inner but world. we've heard this one before too. Yeah, pretty common voice. Yeah, there's only like two or three people. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, you mentioned 1988, year of my birth. I feel like I have a strong affinity for a lot of movies that came out in the year 1988, and I feel like it's a spiritual connection that I have with them from being born the same year that they were made. Here's a list of some ones that were really close to me, especially in childhood. This movie, for one, huge, huge in my childhood, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Beetlejuice, Die Hard, mm. Twins. Big, Rain Man, mm -hmm. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, They Live. Mm -hmm. Now we're getting into ones that I saw later on in life. Heathers, Bull Durham, My Neighbor Totoro, Working Girl, Clean and Sober, Dead Ringers, Last Temptation of Christ, She's Having a Baby, The Vanishing, Frantic, Monkey Shines, wow. Bloodsport, Colors, Midnight Run, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. It's like it makes it, when you compare even a movie year like 1988 to the year of 2023, it's like maybe there's going to be one, maybe two movies that come out of the year 2023. I don't know. This second half of the year has got a lot of movies I'm excited I hope, about. I pray. But I see the point you're trying to make. It's just like so many. It's not the same. It's not the same. The list goes on and on of these are movies that we still watch and talk about today. They all came out in one fucking year. Yeah. What was um, relationships to this movie? Did you did you both see Who Framed Roger Rabbit as kids? Yes. <sighs> But tale as old as time can't really remember when you saw it when i saw it. i mean jessica rabbit has always been a huge character in like childhood and life like i feel like mm. i've known of her but i can't really remember when i first saw it but i remembered this whole movie and then my brother who's staying with us was like oh yeah i've seen that movie probably 20 times i was like what you have like but i don't really have any distinct childhood memories like i'm sure you both do how about you justin <laughs> Justin looks as if he's just passed out. He just turned into Roger cartoon. Rabbit. <laughs> His head is twisting off. Um, yeah, I devoured this VHS tape. This was a. This was like a. Mm -hmm. When you go to the video rental store, and sometimes they don't have anything you want to see, or you've watched all the new releases. Yeah, you know, you've you've gone through the collection. You got to go to an old standby. You go to an old standby, and it's Roger mm -hmm. Rabbit because it's it's yeah. the. I was really big into cartoons when I was a kid. I mm -hmm. I had all the Disney clamshells. I uh, especially the Don Bluth stuff. That was my jam. I liked All Dogs Go to Heaven. I liked Secret of Nim. Mm -hmm. I liked Five Goes West. Uh, Land Before Time. Those were my jam. Loved Five and Land Before Time. Mm -hmm. Never seen Five. Great. I don't even love American Tale, but Five Goes West, which was the second one, constant replays in my house. Yeah, and uh, there were the. Theme of a lot of the cartoons that I had watched and loved was usually some element of darkness or death. 
You know, mm-hmm. uh, Little Nemo in Slumberland is another one that rings a bell that has like a nightmare creature in it, the nightmare blob. Mm-hmm. And I was always drawn to that kind of stuff. Uh, obviously, it's what segued into horror for me. But uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit had all of that and more. Plus, it was live action. And yeah. there was something I couldn't put my finger on with that movie the way that it made me feel. Um, but I was just drawn to it. And I'm very happy to say I still love it. It's still great. Me too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. When we were watching this movie... I was like having the best time. I kept telling Jack, I was like, it's giving me the feeling of watching a holiday movie. Like it's like giving me that warm, nostalgic, just like smile plastered on my face the whole time feeling. Yeah. Watching it again, I was like, this movie is so influential on what I like about movies, I think, too. Like there's just like an energy to this movie that is nonstop, but not obnoxious to me mm-hmm. like i never find the movie to be overbearingly right crazy it's kind of the perfect amount and i don't know if listeners can tell but the episodes they've heard but like i'm not a cartoon guy and weirdly wasn't even a cartoon kid you're like sort of eddie valiant the- you're like you're like racist exactly i kind of connect to eddie valiant <laughs> in that way I, as a kid, I would begrudgingly watch cartoons simply because my friends were watching them and I kind of didn't want to get left out of the experience, but I never loved watching cartoons. Really, the only cartoons that I loved was Ninja Turtles, but that was I was more into the live action movies of them. But this movie always had a huge appeal to me. And even that opening cartoon bit of this movie is incredible. I was going to say so that, that deserves to be in our Patreon of like top movie openings. opening scenes. Yeah, because it really what, is great. What that one yeah. also does really well is not not only is it a perfect homage to like you know a Tex Avery era of mm-hmm. cartoons, very Tom and yeah. Tom and Jerry. It's beautiful in its own right. It's hilarious and it perfect. I love when a movie takes that opening and then transitions into something completely unexpected like you were not watching a cartoon you were watching a behind the scenes yeah. of them yeah. filming a <laughs> movie it's a really clever like, way to like reveal the world yeah and uh, do you remember these Roger Rabbit cartoons popping up in other movies too like i had the vhs for uh, honey i shrunk the kids mm-hmm. and it opened with a Roger Rabbit cartoon and then i looked it up and apparently there was a third one that popped up on Dick Tracy as well but i also had Dick Tracy on VHS it was another tape that i watched all the time my VHS for Dick Tracy did not have a Roger Rabbit cartoon mm-hmm. so i feel kind of cheated that i didn't get the third cartoon well i have strong memories of watching other Roger Rabbit cartoons and now that you say that i can't remember then if those were separate VHS tapes of Roger Rabbit like if there was a standalone collection of Roger Rabbit cartoons or if what or I was could have been when you rented Honey I Shrunk yeah. the Kids. Definitely Honey yeah. I Shrunk the Kids. When you said that, that lit up for me. But mm-hmm. I, I thought there was like a just a VHS tape, just like a Beetle, you know. Uh, I, well, I don't know. Was he ever really an official cartoon? You know what I mean? Like he was created for this movie. Yeah. So he, he wasn't a pre-existing character. I'm not sure if there was like a lot of actual. It would seem stupid that they wouldn't create mm-hmm. cartoons for it. But I can't say I ever saw any other on TV cartoons with yeah. Roger okay, Rabbit? Okay, here it is. I'm looking it up on eBay, and I definitely rented this tape. It's a green. Mm. It's a green cover. It says Disney's the best of Roger Rabbit animated promotional <laughs> demo tape. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it's got him on a roller coaster hol- holding yeah. a baby 
uh, Herman. Herman. That's also a funny reveal that yeah. plays baby, baby in the cartoon, Herman. but is like a cigar smoking adult in a baby's body yeah. <laughs> in real life. But they definitely so had this this cartoon tape uh, for rent. Roger Rabbit was a huge staple in my childhood. I had a Roger Rabbit doll and you could bend its ears around, but nothing else on him moved, but he was plush and fluffy. May even still have it in a box somewhere. I, know, I wish mm-hmm. we still had this stuff because I bet we could make money off I of remember it on going eBay. to Disney World as a, as a child and they had a little Toontown area where you could pose with the steamroller, you could pose with a life-size cardboard mm-hmm. or like wooden cutout of Jessica Rabbit and and Roger Rabbit. I laid under the steamroller and took yeah. a picture. There's tons of pictures. I'll post them on the gram yeah. of me laying under a steamroller. I have one of those too. I got to find it. <laughs> There's even one picture of me climbing on the steamroller and trying to get off of it, but my shorts are caught in one of the handle gears. And so I'm kind of stuck on it. <laughs> on you can, purpose you can or see me. Mi- no, I'm trying to slide down it and my shorts got caught on it. <laughs> <laughs> Check your text messages. Oh, oh my God, you're so cute. <laughs> I like that you're, you'll see in my picture, but you're actually like acting in yours. I just kind of laid down and looked up. <laughs> With like a big smile. Seven oh my God, 1995. You're so cute. I hope mine has the timestamp in it too. Maybe what if we were there on the same fucking day? <gasps> oh that would God. be crazy. Oh, I hope it does too. That makes me cry. Dude, getting to climb on all over that fucking steamroller was a dream mm-hmm. come true. I didn't care that my shorts got caught in the handle. Um <laughs> 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 I was straight up obsessed with steamrollers as a little kid because of this movie. I w- once even asked for a steamroller for my birthday. I remember getting a present, opening up, and there was a little like Micro Machines toy steamroller. And everybody was like, you got your steamroller. That's what you wanted, right? And I was literally like, this is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I wanted a full-size steamroller. <laughs> Another version, too, where like grown-ups misinterpreted me as a little kid was I was also obsessed with Godzilla, but I was obsessed with the plates on his back. I thought the plates on Godzilla's back were so fucking cool. And I remember being at church and talking to somebody about the plates on Godzilla's back and a, an adult came up and was like, you you like plates? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, you know, there's like a whole store where you can go get any kind of plate you want. And in my mind, I was envisioning Godzilla plates, like a store where you could just go buy That's them. That's less on the adult and more on your dumb And I remember brain. going up to my parents and being like, we have to go to that plate store. And they were like, Jack, you don't want to go to the plate store. <laughs> <laughs> that would be such a hilarious obsession for a kid to have. Like, Jack, a your, plate? Your plates. parents would start looking at like counseling options if you <laughs> legitimately- Which one, regular plates or Godzilla plates? I guess both, but- I was- <laughs> But kids are freaking weird. Like- my best friend Marianne's daughter for so long was like, what do you want to be for Halloween? And she kept saying salad, rainbow salad, because my dad used to make her that. And so much so that she became obsessed with it and had Marianne literally design her, sew her an outfit. And on Halloween, she was a salad. Oh, my God. And that's what she would like on trick or treat, I guess. Somebody also a great weird. imagination. Somebody also overheard Jack talking about how much he loves the movie Chinatown and oh then God. sent you to a porcelain bowl shop. <laughs> he loves Chinatown. That was Disney, Disney in Florida, right? 
That was in Florida and Orlando. And then they have a Toontown at Disney in Los Angeles, but it's like never open. And so I personally have never been to it. There's been plenty of occasions when we've gone to Disneyland in Los Angeles and been like, this time we're going to go check out Toontown. And every single time we decide to do that, it's closed for some sort of renovation. And so I've been, we've been to Disneyland countless times, mm-hmm. never, ever mm-hmm. been to Toontown. Yeah, I've I don't been, know what the I've deal is. To, the Roger Rabbit ride was fun, but I don't know. Do they still have it or is it shut I down? I don't know if they still have it. I, think they I mean, up until the last time we went, they still had Toontown. They had the Roger Rabbit ride? I've never been in Toontown, so I don't know. The ride was never it was never open to I got to be honest. You know? I think Roger Rabbit is one of the best designed like cartoon character heroes of all 100%. the Disney stuff. He's great. Like, yeah. The way, obviously, they're, they're borrowing... From Mickey Mouse, they're borrowing from Goofy, they're borrowing Bugs from Bunny. Bugs Bunny. Um, but it just creates this iconic character that could uh-huh. so yeah. easily could have gone south. And not only that, so easily could have been the most annoying and irritating uh-huh. character right. exactly. of mm-hmm. all time. And he rides the line so close, but he is like whenever close. whenever he speaks, I'm like, ooh, is this gonna be a cringeworthy moment? But then I just like love him by the end of yeah. the, of his <laughs> dialogue. Honestly, it's that opening short film kind of does a lot of the work for you because you sort of feel for him in that opening short. He has to take care of baby Herman and baby Herman is setting all of these inadvertent traps for him. So you kind of can't help but feel a little bit of sympathy for this guy because he's just trying to like make sure baby Herman doesn't die. This film was directed by the great Robert Zemeckis. He is an all-timer. He did Back to the Future, Death Becomes Her, Forrest Gump. God, he was just hit after hit after hit. Every movie you just named are some of my favorites. Mm-hmm. What What are your takes on Robert Zemeckis nowadays? Um, what was his most recent movie? His most recent movie was Pinocchio. With Tom Hanks. Okay, well then, yes. But didn't did he do flight? Maybe I'm gonna sound up. He did flight. Yeah. Okay, I really liked mm-hmm. flight. He did I flight. liked flight a lot. But after that, he also did Welcome to Marwin. <laughs> what is that? The Steve Carell movie where he oh, Steve Carell where he's like got PTSD and he sort of like works it out through oh, his dolls. Yeah, uh-huh. he creates like a little imaginary universe. And of course, he did The Polar Express, mm-hmm. Beowulf. Mm-hmm. But he also did Christmas Castaway. Carol. He did Castaway. That's yeah, true. Yeah, he did. What Lies Beneath, mm-hmm. pretty great. Mm-hmm. I wish he did more horror. That would have been kind of fun Yeah, to What see. Lies Beneath used to haunt me. And I rewatched that a couple of years ago, Stacy and I did, and it it still scared me. That bathtub scene will get you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great Halloween movie. He also did Tales from the Crypt, too. He, like Zemeckis yeah. is one of the creators of Tales from the Crypt. You did gotta, you gotta my favorite give episode, props. My favorite episode of Tales from the Crypt. With the one with the Santa Claus? And All Through the House. Yeah. By far my favorite Tales from the Crypt episode. But he's now become this guy who's just obsessed with computer-generated mocap stuff. Mm-hmm. Even in his movies like Welcome to Marwin and like The Walk with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and, of course, Pinocchio, he's still utilizing that stuff. What a movie is that? That movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt where he's like walking across two buildings on a tightrope. Oh, Ooh, he also uh, did. Uh, did he direct contact or he was? He did. He directed <gasps> contact. Wow. But see, that was still in his good era. I mean, that was still when he was he was knocking him out of the park. He's a director now that when I hear he's making a movie, I don't get too excited because I know it's going to be this like weird computer well, generated. You got to put respect on his name. Though. He's weighed way you more hits to. than Stinkers. Did you? I mean, his movies are iconic. Did you see the witches movie he did with Reese Witherspoon? Or sorry, with uh, Anne Hathaway. With Anne Hathaway? No. 
The original one though is Original's truly iconic the original as well. Haunted, awesome. my yeah. Haunted my dreams. Haunted my dreams. This was based off of a novel called Who Censored Roger Rabbit. Pretty different from the movie, it sounds like. I didn't go read it. Did you happen to go read Who Censored Roger Rabbit? <laughs> I read the first few chapters. It was it was oh, you it did? wasn't bad. It, it was a free library rental on Libby. Mm-hmm. And um it had a pretty f- it was it had me cracking up a little bit. I think yeah, I, I, nice. I would read it if I had more time. But it's not about cartoon characters, it's about comic strip characters, right? Yeah. They're not like they're live action cartoons. Yeah, characters. but they're tunes in real life, but they're from it's like the world comic of comic strips. strips, yeah. But right. it's the same thing of like a human world and comic strip yeah. world coming together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it sounds like Disney knew it was a good idea, went ahead and bought the rights like in the early eighties for it, started trying to make it, and Robert Zemeckis actually went out to to pitch to direct the movie back in like nineteen eighty two. But at that point in time, he had only done used cars and I want to hold your hand, both of which were flops. They well, they didn't do well. And so they were like, there's no fucking way we're going to let you direct this movie. <laughs> but then he eventually did Romancing the Stone, which was a pretty big hit. And then, of course, he did Back to the Future, which was a huge hit. And so at that point in time, he had the power to come back to it and be like, I want to make this. And they said, please, please, please make this movie for us. <laughs> um but in that time, they kind of had a lot of stops and starts of making this movie. Originally, Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, was the voice of Roger Rabbit Wow! in the early stages of it. And then Steven Spielberg ended up getting involved, too. And they kind of carefully crafted this movie together. It feels kind of like a Zemeckis-Spielberg joint. Yeah. Wait, what do you mean it was a Spielberg and him joint? Spielberg is a producer on the movie, and he uh-huh. had basically total creative control. That's so crazy. Along the with power Robert this man has had. It's in funny how many well, movies we've covered on the pod all, yes. that have had Spielberg involved. That were like, yeah. actually, Spielberg was the actual director. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and Zemeckis had final cut on this, too. Because Back to the Future was so successful, he was able to negotiate final cut. And so even though this is technically a Disney movie, they could not force him to make any cuts, which they definitely tried to do. Because this movie, even watching it still today, surprisingly super horny, has a lot of dark stuff in it, a lot of death in it, a lot of adult things mm-hmm. that are still you would not really see in a in a Disney movie. Yeah, this is a time today. capsule. This is definitely not a kids movie of today either. Yeah. No. Definitely. You, kids movies today have a lot of adult jokes, but they're sort of meta pop culture jokes mm-hmm. that are for yeah. adults, but they're not darker themes. Yeah, or they're, they're hidden. They're not like overtly yeah. obvious. And no, you're not dipping a cartoon character in acid <laughs> and watching Literally it like yeah. melt. It. The Spielberg tie makes sense then because I saw the voice of Jessica Rabbit. One of the two voices is Amy Irving. Mm-hmm. Who she did, was the, his she did wife. the songs. So she was, the, that's what I assumed. She was yeah. the voice, yeah, mm-hmm. or the singing voice. I love One Amy of Spielberg's She's beautiful. Wives. Jessica Rabbit is beautiful. Jessica Rabbit is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Of course. For sure. Sexy. Probably the sexiest cartoon character. What about Cool World? What about Cool World, man? You know, I never <laughs> saw Cool World. Cool World was most definitely a Roger Rabbit ripoff, right? Yeah, of what course. What is Cool World? I don't Brad know what Pitt. That is. Mm-hmm. Brad, it's Brad Pitt as like a detective in a cartoon world. What? It's a, I must look And he has like this really huge hair. Okay, this should be a Patreon episode as us watching yeah, this movie. We should do and cool world. Talking about it. It's a blind spot. <gasps> oh my god. Okay, she's hot. Yeah. She she's like a blonde Jessica Rabbit. She I'll say she has a better face. Jessica Rabbit's face is not I great. I like it. Because she doesn't have a nose. I like it. 
It's weird. Her body is banging and her hair is great, but Cool World Girl, she's pretty, she's sexy uh, face. Disney was not the Disney that we really know today at this time. In 1988, Disney was actually kind of in like a little bit of a slump. They hadn't done Little Mermaid. They hadn't done Beauty and the Beast. The last movie that they had done was Brave Little Toaster. <gasps> great movie. And, Toaster. Which I think is a great movie, but it wasn't, uh, I looked it up, it was not a hit in theaters. It became a a, a hit on videotape. I think that's, yeah, more of a cult hit for sure. Which is where I'm sure we all saw it. Was okay, on, just was really quickly tape. to bring back Cool World. This is embarrassing. It's such a ripoff. Was everybody like, this is, stop trying to, like, this is too you know, this, I remember exact. when it came out, but I was too young to be following what people were saying about it, so I don't remember what the response was. Yeah, no, I, I never made that connection as a kid, but, I mean, this is this always happens. This is not, I yeah. mean, Hollywood I know, is still doing weird. this. <laughs> and that's early Brad Pitt, too, like, when he's still trying to kind of find his way, and he's he's doing yeah. Legends of the Fall and Interview with the Vampire and stuff. Imagine imagine trying to being defined as trying to find your way by just, oh, I'm trying to find my way. I was an interview with the vampire and Legends of the I Fall. I know, the movies that you just listed, I'm like, those are huge You talked hits. about this in the Seven episode, like, people considered Brad Pitt a bad actor and he was purely considered just a sex symbol and he was trying to find his way as an actor he was trying to navigate it that's why he did seven that's I know, why he didn't but want to take his shirt off are and- trying to find their way in a shoestring you know <laughs> indie budget movie not these are giant yeah, he was getting, movies yeah he was getting work but he didn't know what kind of an actor he was at that point in time champagne problem right um but touchstone touchstone is disney's side company where they could make movies for adults basically they made like color of money they did splash they were making hits and so touchstone was actually keeping disney afloat because they were actually making movies that people were going to see but yeah after you know in the 80s disney was not the powerhouse that we know it is today that did not happen until beauty and the beast little mermaid aladdin that's what created the disney that we know today so they didn't have a whole lot of power to stand up to zemeckis and spielberg when they were like we want to show death we want to show sexy stuff (laughs) <laughs> they fought it. They pushed back on all that stuff, but they just couldn't tell them no. So that's why we get the, the movie that we get today. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, the cool thing about the movie, too, is that because this has never really been done before in terms of this much animation being composited onto this much live action stuff, Zemeckis basically was like, I'm just going to shoot this like a movie and y'all are going to have to figure out how to put the cartoons in. I'm not going to lock off the camera. I'm not going to do all the traditional things that would normally be done when combining animation with live action. I'm just going to go for it. And that's the challenge. Uh, The animation director, Richard Williams, he was the one who kind of had to figure out how to like follow along with it. And apparently it was a very difficult job, but I think it results in an awesome Product. He from all the interviews I've seen, he has an incredible attitude. Yeah, like he's just down for the ride. He's mm-hmm. he he literally tells Zemeckis like, just treat me like your pencil. You have an idea. Yeah. Like Zemeckis is talking, uh, going through dailies and stuff, and he's just like taking notes. But instead of taking notes, he's wow. drawing storyboards yeah. as Zemeckis is like talking. It's awesome, which is quite different, I think, than today, whereas the relationship is. The VFX supervisor tells you how it needs to be done. This was such a on the cusp of, you know, breaking technology that nobody knew how it needed to be done. And so Zemeckis was like, well, I'm just going to do it the way I see it. My impression from the documentary was that 
they very quickly figured out what they needed to do, like technically, that it wasn't like beyond them how to do this. So it wasn't about like necessarily innovating something completely brand new, even though what they were doing hadn't been done. But it was more about time and money. And so when you say yeah, the effort that it was going to take. Exactly. Yeah. And so that that sort of question of like, oh, don't we need to lock off the camera and keep it static and not moving to to make it easier for animation? That, that's the way it's always been done. The reason why they say that is because it's more expensive. It's, it's more easier. time consuming. Yeah. It, but it can be done. Anything can be done. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they were in this unique position where, you know, they did have the money. They did have the. T- what was the budget? 70 million. Made a shit ton of money. I think it made over 150 million. Uh, yeah. But they, they did have the money. They did have the time. They did have the know-how. But it, because it hadn't been done before, it was let's let's take what Zemeckis is saying, and the special effects team will follow. And what you bring up of sort of a, a, a VFX supervisor today saying, "No, this is how you have to do it." That's just completely driven by the new world of filmmaking we're mm-hmm. in now where fast cheap fast cheap money mm-hmm. rules everything and so they can't the yes the vf if you move the camera around and you don't ever consult with a vfx supervisor there's nothing they can't do they can figure it out the thing is yeah they just don't want to spend the money to do that mm-hmm. right and to give them some credit too they're also being taken advantage of by the studios who aren't paying them properly and who are forcing incredible deadlines on them and telling them hey if you can't meet these deadlines and you don't want to do it for this money these guys over here will so you want to just lose the job right. they're getting fucked too definitely you have VFX studios like Rhythm and Hughes going out of business after doing a mm-hmm. massive hit like Life of Pi I mean it's just such a broken industry that's why they got to unionize that's why unions are important yeah. because you can fight for those kinds of things. On that on that note, real quick, pretty cool that not a single shot in this movie is CG or computer generated. Yeah, and all the animation is hand drawn. It looks so good too. You can tell that it's hand drawn. I feel like because yeah. it's just hand drawn by animators and then sent to ILM to do all the compositing. And then it was interesting to to see how they came up with techniques to make the 2D animations feel more 3D by Mm -hmm. creating matted shadows and highlights and things like that to give depth to the cartoon characters. And that was all interesting for to hear how they did that. All things a computer generate, a 3D visual design program would be doing those things natively, but they're Mm -hmm. doing it practically. Basically by hand. By hand. And it's awesome. It's like every shot that you see of animation is like four or five different animated components composited Mm -hmm. together and it looks incredible. They realized that in order to make it look awesome, they needed to mix as much live action prop work with the animation. And so if the animated characters are holding something, that thing that they're holding should be live action. They should film that thing. So there's a lot of wire work. There's a lot of like, what I found interesting in the special features is that there was a lot of animatronic work. Yeah. They built like a lot of animatronic little slim robots. Yeah, baby, to baby like, Herman smoking his cigar was yeah. like a, not only a robot arm, but a man wearing a remote control robot yeah. arm. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, and then puppeteering, which was really cool. Like the oct, did you see mm-hmm. the thing with the octopus in the bar? Yeah, that's a that's a, a f- famous puppeteer who's up on rafters puppeteering all eight arms of the octopus cocktail shaker wine glass beer bottle but there's no octa there's no like octopus puppet it's just how yeah. would these objects move if an octopus is holding them or when the weasel 
are carrying guns. Mm-hmm. The gun is on a string and the gun is just like floating through the air. And yeah. So he's having to like mime how a weasel would hold it and point it around. Mm-hmm. Absolutely the most impressive thing I I saw in the, probably we watched the same behind the scenes, but the, the eyeline problem, right? Like yeah. Bob Hoskins is not looking at a tennis ball on a C-stand. He's not looking at a, a person standing in for Roger Rabbit or a puppet. He's holding Roger Rabbit in his hands, an imaginary cartoon in his hands yeah and he's moving him around and he every single time he hits the same eye line but you know like as soon as if you were to take your hand and and hold a fist in front of you and say this is my eye line and then you move your fist your eyes go crazy like you look yeah. weird it doesn't mm-hmm. look like you're looking at something and your eyes don't know what to focus on so the fact that bob hoskins was able to find a way to not only pantomime those actions in a way that's like incredibly physical and compelling but then maintain that eyeline and make it look like he's looking at something that's a pretty awesome achievement when you watch those behind the scenes things of him interacting with nothing creating it all clearly in his brain while still maintaining this character that like he's playing a really hardened almost humorless character Mm -hmm. this man is so locked in makes you realize how much of an imagination Bob Hoskins really has, like mm-hmm. how creative you you believe it when you watch it on the movie, but when you see those behind the scenes things, it's almost more awe-inspiring the way yeah. he's able to stay in the scenes with nothing, just playing a complete pretend. Yeah. It's awesome. This is our final episode in Villains Month, and I think we're ending it on a pretty great one. Whew. Judge Doom, it's Christopher creepy. Lloyd. Yeah. One of my all-time favorite Christopher Lloyd performances in a, for a man who has many, many great performances. Yeah, his, we were talking about this when we were watching the movie, like the amount of iconic roles he's done. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it's, he doesn't get talked about that much, like in the ways of like, I don't know, people Just like Al Pacino or Robert of, De Niro yeah. or things like that. It feels like he should be in that same thing. He's been in just as many iconic movies. Absolutely. Played so many iconic roles. Like We've already talked about him once, Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Yeah. I, he's Doc so, Brown. He's so good. As a kid, I used to love Uncle Fester and had no clue that was Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. The same guy mm-hmm. from Back to the Future. Two movies yeah. I was watching together. and He can yeah. be kind of a chameleon in a way. For somebody who is so specific, has such a specific look, specific mm-hmm. voice, mm-hmm. he is able to really kind of like disappear into characters. And this is one of his creepiest characters of all time. Fucking creepy ass concept that Judge Doom is a cartoon hiding in a man suit. It is creepy. Yes. That's a good, cool concept. He's in rubber man skin. Yeah. It helps that he has some prosthetics on. He's got a fake chin. He's got some fake teeth. He may even have a fake nose, but he's awesome. And his character of Judge Doom, to me, really gives this movie a Holocaust analogy to me because he feels very Gestapo in his in his vibe, kind of looks like a Nazi villain from like Indiana Jones. And when you consider what he wants to do, the way that this mm-hmm. this society treats cartoons, they definitely look down on them as like second-class citizens. They've got them sort of segregated in their own little toontown. And then this guy wants to come in and wipe them all out with fucking dip. It's like, you can't not think of yeah, Hitler. Yeah, He's like Hans no, Landa. Definitely. I agree. I think there's... Um it's not uh, lost on anyone i think the 
the illusions. And I, I think my fear when watching the movie was like how, you know, it's taking place. It doesn't take place in 1988. It takes place in 1947. Yeah, and, I was thinking the same thing. And, and you know, with what I remembered about Jessica Rabbit and, and detective noirs in general, I was like, is this movie going to be self-aware uh, or not? And I don't know. I think there's a few things that are... You roll your eyes a little bit, but I think for the most part, they they knew what they were doing and, and what they were talking. I think for the most part, it has a feeling of like the thing I'm like, I like about like old Hollywood movies and things of like, oh, if if only the 1940s really was like this. It's like, oh, it feels so like glamorous old Hollywood vibes. Yeah. This movie ha- like has all of that. It sort of sets the bar for me being the one of the first, probably my introduction to any sort of idea of film noir or st- that stylistic mm-hmm. tone would be this movie and it's perfect. I watch it now and I'm like the costumes are perfect, the cars are perfect, the sets are perfect, the guns are perfect, the, the shadows. A- like the voice, the accents like, ah. It's like da-da-da. the best version of a film noir yeah. homage that you can get. And so now when I watch real old film noirs, I am probably in the back of my mind holding <laughs> it to the standard of Roger well, Rabbit. Also, and particularly if somebody's doing one nowadays, I'm holding it to what, the What was like especially Rabbit. cute about the movie too is like usually the trope is like a femme fatale or a damsel in distress who's coming to the yeah. detective like begging for help. And the fact mm-hmm. that it's Roger Rabbit who is like <laughs> yeah. begging him for help. Um, He's so and cute. they play with the femme fatale idea yeah. too, where the, a lot of this movie is kind of trying to make you think that Jessica Rabbit might be the, the bad guy in this thing. It's clever. And I like that there's Hollywood industry critique going on in the movie too, in terms of about the way Hollywood uses people who they deem are washed up. There's that interesting moment too with Betty Boop, where she's like, you know, nobody wants a black and white cartoon anymore. I was like, well, that's interesting because there's always new technology pushing old technology out. And the anti-capitalists, like uh, the freeway stuff, that's all like legit social commentary Mm -hmm. and apparently is exactly the way it went down. According to the commentary, they were like, that is what happened. The the automotive industry, the car industry and the tires, they bought out the railway system, the red car system in Los Angeles in order to dismantle it so that they what could could have been rule. what could have been so i thought that was pretty a pretty cool way of doing a what is clearly a chinatown reference but actually utilizing something real and and bringing it to light in a cool way god that's so evil so evil it is evil <laughs> let's take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk more about roger rabbit and who framed him who did it. And who is Judge Doom really? Ooh, Ooh. stay tuned, folks. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Cinema Possess, and we are talking Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I forgot to talk about my DVD. Mm-hmm. Honestly, pretty awesome. It's got a great case, buttload of special features. The only th- complaint I have about it is that the DVD menus are too good. You're basically in the Benny cab, and he's taking you around areas of the set and Toontown and stuff. It's really fun at first. It's r- incredibly well made. And apparently won a bunch of, like, DVD menu awards. (laughs) And I guess they're well-deserved, but it sort of gets exhausting after a while when you're clicking around and stuff. He's got to fucking drive to every special feature and talk to you along the way. My other complaint about it or other, like, odd thing about it is it comes with two discs. One disc has the widescreen version of the movie, and then the other disc has a full-screen version of the movie. A version that you don't fucking need. Exactly. You know, The full-screen version was the first disc in the case, so I just popped it out blindly and put it in. And, you know, the movie opens with a cartoon. And so it was stretched across our widescreen TV, but I could tell, even in cartoon form, I was like, Roger Rabbit and Baby Herman look like they're a little squished. And then I... um. I double-checked the box, and I saw that there was a widescreen and a, and a full-screen version, so I had to jump up real quick, stop the movie, replace the DVD. But yeah, it's like, what the fuck? I think it's because this probably came out at that time when people widescreen TVs weren't popular yet. People still had the full-screen TVs, and people were idiots. You know, you talked on the Cape Fear episode about how Martin Scorsese was out there telling people about pan and scan and explaining why it's a bad thing and why widescreen is good. People needed to hear that shit. Yeah. I have a very vivid memory of when Twister came out. My friend was obsessed with it. He saw it like four times in the theater, and then it came out on VHS, and his mom brought home the tape, and it was the widescreen VHS version of it, which is the proper way to watch the film. But he saw those two black bars on the top and bottom of the screen, and he pointed at the screen, and he goes, the tape is broken. (laughs) And I was like, no, 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 no. That's the way it's supposed to be. And he was like, it's broken. You got to take it back. And his mom came in and looked at it and she was like, whoa, it is broken. And I was like, guys, no, this is widescreen. This is the way it's supposed to be. They would not listen. His mom took the tape out, got in the car, went and got it, swapped it for a full screen tape that very same day. God damn it. That's so annoying. <laughs> so I'm sure like they, they probably got plenty of letters and phone calls about our VHSs and our DVDs are broken. So they probably made the decision Ugh. we gotta include both for the fucking well, now, doofuses. Now out so there. I'm looking <clears throat> I'm looking at the brand new 4K UHD Who Framed Roger Rabbit mm-hmm. Ultimate Collector's Edition. It is shipping now. It's $25. It comes with the 4K Ultra HD disc. It comes with a Blu-ray disc. And it comes with a digital code. Three versions of the movie. Wow. So it's a lot of not much is yeah. Not much has changed. I guess that's you know, true. You're still in this day and age, people may not have a 4K player. They're not cross compatible. A 4K player can play a Blu-ray, but a Blu-ray can't play a 4K disc. So yes. it's it's a different era, same 
same problems <laughs> same problem oh also earlier we were talking about christopher lloyd and i missed an opportunity for a joke i wanted to stay uh-huh. uh he hasn't aged a day since uh, from back to the future he looked a hundred years old then he looks a hundred years old <laughs> that was no. a really good joke i'm glad we brought it back <laughs> justin's blushing <laughs> It was good. This is really it was good. good. My delivery was off. The joke was great. The delivery was off. Uh, opening cartoon. We talked about it. It's fucking awesome. I think my favorite thing about it is it feels like a fucking horror movie to me. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of. You're, it reminds me of the opening of Evil Dead Two, with the the cabin just beating the shit out of ash and like one man fighting everything in one place. That's what it feels like. 100%. The refrigerator falls on Roger Rabbit's head and these uh, birds are swirling so around his head and he goes, cut, 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 cut. What the hell was wrong with that cake? Nothing with you, baby Herman. You were great. You were perfect. You were better than perfect. Just Roger. He keeps blowing his lines. Roger. What's this? A tweeting bird. A tweeting bird. Roger, read this. Look what it says. It says rabbit gets clunked. Rabbit sees stars, not birds. Stars! Can we lose the playback, please? Oh, you're killing me, killing me. But crying out loud, Roger. How the hell many times do we have to do this damn scene? No! I'll be in my trailer. Take a nap. Excuse me, toots. Classic director. I'm doing that all the time. <laughs> I'm constantly yelling at actors. The director, by the way, is played by Joel Silver. Did you notice that? No, I was going to ask. I was like, this has to be a cameo, but I can't tell who it is. Yeah, he produced Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, Tales from the Crypt. He's a classic guy. One of my favorite reveals from the opening was the shot of the legs of the mom. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like Tiny mm-hmm. Toons kind of does that. Like in, in Muppet Babies Muppet, definitely did Muppet it. Muppet Babies. Mm-hmm. Rugrats does it. Um, and then the reveal that those legs were like robotic or like yeah. legs on stilts. <laughs> like they yeah, were that a was prop. Cool. <laughs> that mm-hmm. was funny. Uh, Charles Fleischer does the voice of Roger Rabbit. We hadn't talked about him uh. yet. 10 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. And that's the other thing about not just Roger Rabbit's design, but like the sound of his voice, the impediment of his voice. Did he do any other like iconic Yeah, he was a big voice actor of the time. I think this was his big breakout, um, but he was a a pretty well-working voice actor. He was known as kind of a wild dude. I think all stories of people who worked with him was like he really, really embodied the characters to a degree that maybe most other voice artists didn't. And... um, for this, he he required that they um, make him a full size bunny suit for him to wear while being on set. Some yeah. funny pictures. It looks and absurd. People, people who were shooting other movies in the same studio spaces, you know, had heard about oh, they're you know big studio Roger Rabbit movie, and they would see him walking around in the rabbit costume and be like, "What the fuck movie are they <laughs> making? Like he looks ridiculous." They didn't realize it was going to be animated. Yeah, apparently Bob uh, Hoskins said to him, uh, "Like, what? Why do you need the costume? You're you're just doing the voice. You're you're playing a cartoon." <laughs> and he just goes, "I don't tell you how to act." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the commentary too, Robert Zemeckis said that when he like first talked to Bob Hoskins, he was like, so, you know, you're going to have to be doing a lot of this performance, like acting against nothing. And apparently Bob Hoskins is like, I'm pretty used to that with some of the actors I've worked with. (laughs) (laughs) Burn. All of his behind the scenes interviews too were really sweet too. He's like, my kids have never been able to watch any of my movies. This is the first one they're going to be able to see. So I'm pretty proud. Aw. 
<laughs> accent is amazing. But he has a great like American accent. Yeah. Like he's, yeah. he totally has like the cool film noir detective voice. We get introduced to Eddie Valiant in this scene. <laughs> Tones. Do you know what what made Bob Hoskins famous? Like what how did well, he Well, this is what made him American famous. Mm-hmm. He had done a movie called Mona Lisa and he had done The Long Good Friday before this. And I believe he was a Spielberg find. Spielberg's always kind of got his finger on the pulse of like international actors cuz he'll he's he's done that before bringing in people who have never done American stuff before and making them famous. Um, and I think he just was like, this guy's a great actor. And they specifically wanted somebody who looked like they could fit in a film noir world. Mm-hmm. And they they went through a number of different people, very similar to uh, the Cape Fear stories. They went to Harrison Ford. I think he was too expensive. Wouldn't have been right. He could have been okay, but it would have been not as good. Because he's... he's um, There's something fun about him being like slightly, you know... Yeah, Bob Hoskins is a character... a little. Bob Hoskins is a character actor. Yeah. And so you believe him in a, in a way that Harrison Ford would never lose Harrison Ford. You know, he's a movie right, star. Right. So you wouldn't... You would always be thinking of that. They also went out to Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase, I think, would have been pretty good at the physical comedy stuff, but he's just not a great actor. Uh-uh, so uh-uh. he, I don't think he would have done... He wouldn't have made it a character that you connect to like Bob Hoskins does. And then they also went out to Bill Murray, which I think could have been interesting. He's the best choice out of the others. We also failed to mention on the Cape Fear episode that Steven Spielberg initially wanted Bill Murray to play Max Cady. Did you see that? No, we we covered that. I don't think we we mentioned Bill Murray. We talked about everybody else, but I don't think we mentioned Murray. Either That's way, shocking news that would have been crazy. I thought we did. It probably wouldn't have worked said, at all. I thought we said it was absurd. It would be absurd. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. He had, I think Spielberg, he has his weird things with comedy where it's like he really wants, to, he's not very funny to me. <laughs> I love his movies. And I think his movies have good little sprinklings of humor. Mm-hmm. But anytime he tries to be funny, it oftentimes comes off bad. Perfect example is 1941, which is almost an unwatchable movie. And that's because he's trying to be funny. It's like an out-and-out comedy, and it blows. And I, th- I do believe that um, Robert Zemeckis co-wrote that movie, too. But Hoskins is fucking perfect, and Spielberg would use him in uh, Hook. He plays a great shmee. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. I did not even connect that. He was also famously Mario in the Mario mm-hmm. Brothers movie. Um, can't blame him for any of the problems of these things, but it just, you know, I don't think, um, I don't think most American filmmakers knew exactly how to use it. But it's like, nobody knows who, I feel like most people don't know who Bob Hoskins is. And I just Mm -hmm. like, in a very short amount of time, I I got Hoskins from Roger Rabbit and Mario. Yeah. And just, he was in, on my radar. He was in my zeitgeist as a child. Our our generation knows Hoskins. such a funny actor to have in your zeitgeist (laughs) as a child. Yeah. 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 And I think died too young too. I mean, he was, I don't know what, how old he was, but I want to say he died in like the early 2000s. Oh my God. He's also in Shattered and he's so good in Shattered. He plays. And Shattered is. 91 was it right after Roger Rabbit? Shattered was 91, yeah. Hell yeah. Wolf yeah, he's directed awesome by Wolfgang Peterson, mm-hmm. starring Tom Berenger, awesome noir detective modern mm-hmm. detect uh noir murder mystery thing. It's yeah. awesome. He's there to meet RK Maroon. I really like this actor too. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. His name's Alan Tilvern. Great voice in this guy too. He tells Eddie that the rabbit is losing his star power due to the fact that he's in this relationship with Jessica Rabbit. And so R.K. Maroon is hiring Eddie Valiant, who's a private detective. 
to um, basically go stalk Jessica Rabbit and get some proof that she's that she's messing around so that he can show it to Roger and and I guess get Roger to break off the relationship and, and focus on his career. He doesn't want to go to Toontown to do this. And he has a good line where he says, you don't want to go to Toontown. You don't have to go to Toontown. Nobody said you had to go to Toontown anyways. And I got to admit, the tunes are kind of a menace in the, in the real world. When Eddie steps out, I mean, they're just constantly breaking shit, crashing into things. They don't quite work well in the human world. Maybe things are better in Toontown. Mm, Hardly. Problematic. <laughs> problematic. Uh, he has a little save the cap moment where um, he tries to get on the, the red car, but he doesn't have any money. He has to like, hop onto the back of it and these, these little... Street kids are running after it. He helps them on. It's it's a nice That's little cute. moment. Hey, mister, don't you have a car? Who needs a car in L.A.? We got the best public transportation system in the world. Uh, what could have been? What could have been? We can't even talk about this. It makes I know, me it too, hurts. It makes, it makes blood me so, boil. It makes me so mad. <laughs> What's also making my blood boil is that we're widening our fucking highways. That like we're wasting oh, yeah. billions of dollars <laughs> making the problem even worse. And that they think that by widening it, at widening it and adding an extra lane traffic will be better. But all evidence points to that. It yeah. would be better. It worse. would be better if they made that lane a bus lane that only for buses, and and then actually had a bus system that ran. Then it actually would work. But they're not going to do that. Right. The transportation revolution would be the bus system that really could change if they mm-hmm. made bus lanes. And if you drove in them, you got crazy tickets. And apparently all the rail car routes were the exact routes of our freeways now too. Like they literally God, can just you imagine? took we the really railways, can't. they dismantled it. We really it can't. And, it's, mm-hmm. We need to keep talking Toontown. Yeah, move on. Uh, I'm about to cry. I noticed <laughs> that um, at this bar, when she serves Eddie a beer, he's drinking out of this sort of like stemmed goblet that is different than everybody else's. I don't know exactly why, but it did make me think like, are you sensitive to glassware when it comes to your beverages that you that you order at a bar. I think it's such an insane thing to get upset about. It's like, <laughs> put the drink in my mouth. Like I, I don't know. Some guys get upset. They're like, hey, what is this tulip glass you put my beer in? Do you want to drink wine out of a pint glass? Like, yeah. why is that okay, but not beer? I don't know. I don't care. I don't need a beer to be in a tulip. But yeah. at the same time, if if the bartender says it's better in a tulip, great, give it to. I me. will say that they're the, like aesthetically. I sometimes am disappointed. So sometimes I'll I, order a drink that like that sounds like that's going to be in a rocks glass. I'm hanging with my boys. I'm not trying to call attention to myself. I just want a regular old glass. Yeah, and then it does come out in this kind of dainty little stemmed cocktail glass that like. I'm fine with, I'll never complain about it, but I will have to be sort of like, well, I guess this is what I'm doing tonight. I want my beer in a glass shaped like cock and balls. Yeah. To remind me of the man that I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also have the problem too, where like I'm a little bit past the IPA stage where I don't, they give me a headache now, but I still want the high alcohol content. So I will go with either like the old Rasputin, like a high alcohol stout or a, or a Le Fin du Monde or a Chimay. Oftentimes those do come in like a tulip glass. Yeah. And I kind of expect that. If it's a higher, to me, that's more like, well, I'm telling people that I'm drinking a higher yeah. alcohol beverage. Well, I just feel, I do feel like a Belgian ale in a normal pint glass looks a bit weird. Feel There is something about it that feels a little bit off you I, like it better in a tulip i think it i think it should be in a tulip I, <laughs> this is an insane <laughs> conversation 
<laughs> but I these do- are things that I think women don't think about, but men do think about. We think about the kind of glass we're going to get served. I'm not going to lie. I think mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. I do like a good German <laughs> Stein. A German Stein glass is kind of nice with a handle on the end. Yeah. I like a boot. Mm-hmm. You put it in a boot glass, I'll walk around all day with that. When thing. was the last time you drank beer out of a boot? The last time we went to um, Worst House, isn't that what yes, it's called? Yes, yes, They serve beer in boots. But in glass boot glasses. That's what I'm talking Remember about. Remember when Corey drank beer out of a boot? Ugh, an actual boot. That's oh, disgusting. yeah. That was my 21st birthday. Whose boot was it? Was it your own shoe, Corey? Yes. No, it must have been Jack's. Why? We <laughs> were in Jack's boots? dorm oh, room. Oh, shoes? Was it a shoe? Yes. You, it was you, me, and Justin were <laughs> just playing Truth or Dare or something. <laughs> no, no, no. With it your, was, like, I feel like there and were multiple. And that roommate. There was that the roommate. There were multiple people there. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was trying to impress them or I something. Put, I can't you. believe I did that. That makes me want to just literally you were 21. scrub my mouth. What I else know. would you have drank from? <laughs> You did exactly what you were supposed to do. One guy starts making oh, fun yeah, of Eddie yeah. for uh, working for a cartoon. There's kind of like a running gag. People keep thinking he's working for cartoons. And he's like, I don't work for tunes. He grabs this guy's hard-boiled egg and like shoves it in his mouth. Ew, the egg scene. But yeah, that actor has an awesome voice too. What's his problem? Toon killed his brother. Dropped a piano on his head. <laughs> There's a great line reading from her. Great line. And we see that Eddie used to be fun. Used to be kind of a fun-loving guy. <laughs> he worked with his brother in this detective company called Valiant and Valiant. Honestly, based off the pictures, he looked like he was annoying. Obnoxious as fuck. <laughs> he looked like he was kind of an annoying guy. I like this version of Eddie. He needs to find a middle ground. Yeah, between but I, I like what be. they're going for, though, that like he used to have... He used to wear a clown nose. He used to have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. He used to be fun, and he used to like cartoons. He was right. he, the cartoons fucking loved him. Yeah, it's a they perfect were, he, character arc. It's just the photos yeah, make sure. it look lame as hell. <laughs> yeah, they're posing with the rest of the police squad with like clown noses on their face and like holding ukuleles with big sombreros on. It's just like these guys are goofy. Not the cartoon dog though. <laughs> uh, he goes to the club. I love this club scene. Kind of a kind of a showstopper scene with. All the stuff we were talking about in terms of like blending the cartoons with the people and the practical stuff. Everything is practical with the trays and the drinks and the octopus. You get Daffy Duck and Donald Duck having a dueling pianos battle on the stage. Does anybody understand what this duck is saying? First movie to ever have both Disney and Warner Brothers characters together. Daffy is Warner Brothers, Donald is Disney, but they had to have like equal screen time. One couldn't be more powerful than the other. They kind of had to make everything equal, but it's pretty cool. It's a good sequence. We get to meet Marvin Acne. He's a kooky dude too. He squirts Eddie with some disappearing ink, which pissed me off. I don't care if it's disappearing ink. It's still ink. Yeah, but it comes back. It comes back. You got to yeah, do it. It does you come gotta. back. The thing that pisses me off, and I remember these as a kid, and I hated them, was the hand buzzers. I had one, and I loved it. Ugh, they used to piss me off. Those had a big like heyday in our childhood. Be- probably because of this movie. Because I true. saw this movie and didn't know if it was a real thing or not. And then going to a magic store and seeing one hanging on the shelf and realizing that they existed. Do you remember uh, like the fart <laughs> spray or the skunk yes, spray in a can yes, that kids yes. would bring to school and fucking I remember stink bombs destroy the day yeah, yeah I remember the sprays me I was more about the sound I was a whoopee cushion guy whoopee cushion yeah. when the remote control whoopee cushion came out 
brother, I was using that on everybody. <laughs> Any of that kind of stuff. I had a lot of fake puke and fake dog poop. <laughs> Put those everywhere. I've given my friend Courtney's kid every year for Halloween since he was like a baby, something that has to do with poop. And he finds it so funny. And Jack was like, what are you going to do when he's like, ah, this is lame. I don't like this anymore. And I don't think it'll ever happen because I think poop things are always funny, even now as an adult. Yeah. I think the older think you ever get, the, fun- the funnier, the funnier it. it gets. Yeah. Yes, yeah, poop, I agree. Poop humor is because evergreen. Because it becomes always... more taboo. So yeah. that's what when it becomes funnier. Uh-huh. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. you're not Agreed. supposed to do it. Agreed. My hot take is, is I don't think farts are gross at all. I think burps are disgusting. I think... Yeah. Burps are rude for sure. But you're if a you huge fu- burper. If Justin, you fu- you're one of the biggest burpers <laughs> I know. Ugh. I lost it. I can't do uh. it. Can you can you fart with your with your armpit? Ew, that's gross. <laughs> and I'm glad you, you, you hurt, say you're you funny about it. yourself. This is this is going off the rails. <laughs> I know. Uh, and loony. Henry just actually farted again and it stinks. Okay, get we gotta One get back on the Toontown Road. So you know who's sexy as hell? <laughs> Jessica Betty Rabbit. Jessica Rabbit. Okay, I've been waiting. Betty Boop was so mm-hmm. well, that was a really Betty fun Boop cameo. Is cute. But okay, so And I like too that it implies that they have like a history together. It's like, hey yeah. Betty, how you doing? You know, it's the one tune he seems yeah. to like like, you know. Who who would pay, play Betty Boop in a live action? I got, um, I got Megan Mullally. No. Megan Mullally. No. Um um <laughs> Chucky's bride. Chucky's bride. Oh, Jennifer Tilly? Yeah. yeah, I could see that. I was gonna say Christina Ricci. Yeah, but the voice? But she could. She could mm-hmm. do it. Um wait. To Jessica Rabbit, fucking finally, two hours in, we get to Jessica Rabbit. Um, why, 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 why is her voice not credited? Kathleen Turner. I, I know is, it's Kathleen Turner, but it's she's not on IMDb. You have to Google what? it. She has, for whatever reason, it's uncredited. What? I actually did mean to Google why is she uncredited. What? Look it up now. Researcher. Get on the keyboard. Why is Kathleen Turner? Because her voice is unmistakable. Yeah. Turner. Here we go. When Zemeckis was hired, he brought Kathleen Turner to voice Jessica, whom he worked with in Romancing the Stone. In a 2017 interview, Turner, who went uncredited, stated that she accepted the role because she was pregnant and just had to show up and do her voice. <laughs> doesn't hmm. doesn't Not really, really an explanation. Yeah. So weird. The rumor is, is that Jessica Rabbit, the design of her is based off of Robert Zemeckis's wife. <laughs> wow. We've talked before on this podcast about wife guys. Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven, he's a wife guy. Mm-hmm. I'd say Roger Rabbit is a wife guy because mm-hmm. he loves his wife. Robert Zemeckis, certified wife guy. He is modeled wife guy sexy, though. I feel like he's has modeled a bad thing. sexy babe characters in multiple of his movies after his wife. That's great. His wife is her name is Leslie Zemeckis. She's a former burlesque dancer and model. He clearly is very attracted to her. And, and the rumor is, is that Jessica Rabbit was modeled after her. He modeled the, uh, in Welcome to Marwin. He is obsessed with the porn star, and she uh, plays the porn star. In Beowulf, there is a big-breasted woman that is modeled after his wife. She's also in the Christmas Honestly, Carol. looking at her right now, she does, she does look like Jessica Rabbit. Yeah. He's never gone on the record as saying it, but he has gone on the record as saying it for the other things. And so people are like, she's clearly the 
must have been. She sh- for sure is. The she looks just like Jessica, Jessica Rabbit. Rabbit. Wow, good for fucking Robert Zemeckis. He loves his wife, guys. I feel like when you say wife guy, though, that has like a bad connotation. No. Yes, it does because of the try guys and all that stuff that happened with them. I don't know the try guys. Yeah, but that the, he was the wife guy. And like that was, I don't know. I feel like there's a bad thing with that. But this Just man guys loves his who wife. love their wives. Well, then you should be claiming your wife. We should guy. all aspire to be wife guys. Some people show it more than others. Roger Rabbit, Robert Zemeckis, William Money. Look at his wife. She looks just like yeah. Jessica Rabbit. Justin, can you see that? She's a smoke show. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love the song she sings. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. Give me some money, too. That's a pimp-ass line. Get out of here and give me some money, too. Song was sung by Amy Irving, as Corey mentioned. Married to Spielberg from 1985 to 1989, right before Kate Capshaw. She's a good friend of De Palma. She's in Carrie. She does a lot of De Palma movies, too. And she is also a gorgeous human being. And still is. Valiant catches her canoodling with Marvin Acme. Takes pictures of them playing patty cake. Pretty funny. They imply that they're having sex, but they're calling it patty cake. Mm -hmm. But then there's a funny reveal that they are just actually playing patty cake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This makes Roger distraught. They give him some booze. We get the setup that like this kid can't have booze. I love the eye pop. Mm -hmm. Every time he takes a drink, the first thing that happens is one of his eye literally with like a balloon popping sound. (laughs) And then he turns into basically like a train whistle. And flies into the air and makes everything like explode well, around. This it. was some of my earliest exposures to alcohol. So I'm not really <laughs> thinking as a kid, oh, this is unique to a, a cartoon to or to Roger Rabbit. <laughs> I was like, what happens when you drink alcohol? Yeah. Is this like, this, do you blast through a window? He flies out the window, leaves a Roger Rabbit shaped hole. And then the next day, Eddie Valiant gets news that the rabbit cacked Marvin Acme. Dropped a safe on his head. I like that they use the word cacked, which I've always known as another word for shit. It's like scat. Mm. I don't but know. I like using it as like to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Whacked him. You better, you better watch or I'm going to cack your ass, mm-hmm. bitch. Whoa. So they go to the Acme factory. We get our fun little setups of stuff that's going to be used later on in the movie. The hole that you can just throw on and create a hole anywhere. So cool. The, the fucking mallet that shoots out like a boxing glove and punches things uh and then we get introduced to our villain judge doom is this man removing evidence from the scene of a crime ah uh, no judge doom uh, valiant here was just picking it up for you weren't you eddie hand it over sure <laughs> Number one seller. I see working for a tune has rubbed off on you. I wasn't working for a tune. I was working for Ake Maroon. Yes, we talked to Mr. Maroon. He told us the rabbit became quite agitated when you showed him the pictures. The rabbit said one way or another, he and his wife are going to be happy. Is that true? Pal, do I look like a stenographer? Shut your yap, Eddie. The man's in charge. That's all right, Lieutenant. From the smell of him, I'd say it was the booze talking. No matter, the rabbit won't get far. My men will find him. He's described in the script as having vulture-like features, uh, and he was even supposed to have a vulture on his shoulder. 
but they deemed that would be too hard and they had too enough animation. Stupid. To do. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they didn't do it. Although I could see it looking cool too. I wonder if they decided that completely in post. So like is is Christopher Lloyd the whole time thinking they're gonna put a vulture on his shoulder and or is that something they decided like beforehand isn't that like in in uh, in heat when al pacino thought his character was going to be snorting cocaine the whole movie right <laughs> and apparently he was going to snort it out of a knife that he always had in his back like in his belt buckle and there was like a scene where he pulled it out and snorted coke off of it and that was like eventually cut because <laughs> michael mann was like i felt like the movie was implying it already she's <laughs> right if you notice uh, christopher lloyd never blinks his eyes on camera whoa the little te- a little tell one of the there's a couple little tells that he's attuned. Oh, did you read that or did you catch that yourself, Jack? Mm. Commentary, uh-huh. commentary. Jack. Zemeckis told me you just sounded like Jack Nicholson uh-huh. right there. Since I've had Toontown under my jurisdiction, my goal has been to reign in the insanity, and the only way to do that is to make the tunes respect the law. Pulls out this fucking canister. Remember how we thought there was no way to kill a tune? Well, Judge Doom found a way. Turpentine, acetone, and benzene. Calls it the dip. All those chemicals, too, are paint thinners. So that, you know, it makes sense that they would Mm -hmm. kill cartoons. And we see him pick up this poor little fucking shoe. Oh, this made me sad. These are not kid gloves, Mr. Valiant. So we see a little bit of the cartoon hierarchy here. Because he can just pick up a cartoon off the ground. No trial... No jury, just execute I this know. thing and dip. Jesus yeah, just like so a- that must be like a chicken in the cartoon world, like just a fucking bug that he could that no, no yeah. repercussions. No, no, he no, can no, just no, no. kill I- this fucking shoe. No, he's just even though the shoe has a mouth and eyes and a soul. <laughs> well, that's the Nazi. That's the Nazi thing. I think he's just nobody seems to be punishing him for it. But I guess that's also the Nazi thing too. Yeah. yeah. This feels like music Dip. Music here in this sequence is definitely, we've used this oh, yeah. before. We used all the Roger Rabbit score in Date Night. Because uh-huh. Corey said the same, in this moment, yeah. Corey said, where has this music been used before? And I said, in our short Date Night. <laughs> and she was like, oh, yeah, yeah that's funny. Fucking great. So oh, that's good. the other thing, too. Amazing score from Alan Silvestri in this movie. We haven't talked about him. Alan Silvestri is another sad case to me. You know why? 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 Because I think we've lost Silvestri the same way we've lost a lot of our great actors. To Marvel. Mm. This man- Is he doing Marvel stuff? He does all the Marvel stuff. That's why I haven't heard of him in fucking 20 years. Son of a bitch. He's stuck in the Marvel world. He does Marvel. He does like the G.I. Joe movies. And this era, Back to the Future, fucking iconic score. This fucking iconic score. Judgment Night, Predator, Predator 2, Ricochet. These are, oh, make the hair stand on the back of your neck scores from Silvestri. He's one of my favorite composers of all time. But yet this man has not made a good score in 20 years. Part of it, I do think he changed a little bit because he also did Forrest Gump, which I think is a great score as well. Mm-hmm. Which Forrest Gump, I think, marked a shift. Where post Forrest Gump, I thought all of his scores started to sound a little soft. They lost that Sylvester edge. Because I think the scores that he gives in Roger Rabbit and Ricochet and Judgment Night, they have a thrill factor to them. There's something exciting about like the instrumentation that he uses. There's like a shrieking quality to them that I fucking love. 
but you don't hear that anymore. And you you kind of stopped hearing it after Forrest Gump. I think he started to become a little more like mainstream with it, even with his action movies. Like um, he did the score for Eraser, which is pretty good. He did the score for Judge Dredd, but they sound a little more like Basil Polidaris scores, like the guy who did RoboCop and and Starship Troopers. They have a little bit more of like a military vibe to them. And that's what all of his like, Avengers and fucking Captain America scores. They all just sound like generic army music. And uh, the man is still alive and well and <laughs> and healthy. I would kill for him to to give us another classic Silvestri I rip the walls off score like this. I think and you we should be the ones need to, do it. to sort of have a moment with yourself where you assess what your priorities are. Because if you would kill somebody <laughs> to have... I would murder for it. No, you know what Alan's going to do? He's going to say, I'll fucking fix your fucking stupid movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'll mail you my score. <laughs> hey, if it sounds anything like Predator 2 Tunnel Chase track, I'll be happy. Everyone with it. at that age checks out. They don't give a mm-hmm. shit. They have more. I'm sure he goes, doo doo doo. Marvel takes it. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure takes he's him making five minutes to make. He's probably $5 making the most dollars. money he's ever made in his life. Yeah. But he's making the worst stuff of his life. Yeah, career. but he's an old man he now. He don't give care. a fuck. He can it's also barely the thing get out too of that... bed in the morning. Okay, this is not an episode about him. Let's keep it going. <laughs> I love you, Alan. If you're listening, don't take this the wrong way, bud. I know. You're really shitting on this man you love. So Roger ends up finding Eddie, <laughs> sneaks into his apartment, handcuffs himself to him. This is just a kind of a funny sequence where he's the, the fucking weasels come over. Oh, yeah, we didn't say it, but Judge Dune has a bunch of fucking weasels that follow him around. These guys are cool. I love them. Yeah, they are cool. They dress cool. The, originally, they were supposed to be mutated versions of the seven dwarves from Snow White. But again, mm. they were like, that's too many fucking weasels. Yeah, so they cut it cr- down. That would be cool. But I love the weasels. Yeah. They're, I like that they're original, unique characters. I love that they laugh. One of these days, you're going to die laughing. She comes back into play. Uh, they come over. Fun scene where he's got to hide Roger in the sink, pretending like he's washing dishes. He ends up taking him to to Dolores at the bar to to cut the 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 handcuffs off. And great little moment where he's like, "Can you sit still?" And Roger just slips his little hand out of the handcuffs. Does this help? Yeah, thanks. Do you mean to tell me that you could have taken your hand out of that cuff at any time? No, not at any time. Only when it was funny. <laughs> Everything that Roger Rabbit does, which I, I thought uh, was like a nice theme, is for making people laugh, which yeah. uh-huh. makes him likable even when he's being mm-hmm. annoying. And also, I don't know, I was like trying to look for the theme or the motif in that, you know, and like yeah. the value of, I think Roger Rabbit in this war- fictional world is the, the character exists in the film to sort of like prove the value of of tunes. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, what Roger Rabbit is saying is like, we exist to make people happy or to make people right. laugh, you know? Thought Not to was, murder people. That was sweet. Great bar scene. Roger's entertaining everybody at the fucking bar, smashing plates over his head. Judge Doom comes in. I'm looking for a murderer. Another great thing that movie does, movies do for me is when you introduce someone as a bad person and then you show them subverting that in some way. And so the guy that kind of had the little kerfuffle uh-huh. with yeah. Eddie, think, you think he's going to rat out yeah. Roger Rabbit. But I've seen the rabbit. Yeah. He's right here. Say hello. 
Harvey. <laughs> so good. You want us to tear up the place? Not necessary. No tune can resist the old shave and a haircut. Ah, stressful. And Eddie Valiant's like, what the fuck is he doing? And he turns around and Roger Rabbit's literally like having to hold his mouth shut. So Roger can't resist it. He blows through the wall. He grabs him. Bring me some dip. He starts to put him in there. And then uh, Eddie gets the idea. He remembers what happens when Roger drinks booze. You want to drink? I don't. You do. (laughs) I don't. You do. (laughs) And I get fucking hyped when Eddie starts kicking the shit out of the weasels. Mm -hmm. It's good. Love it. And such a fun behind the scenes thing too, where they like would shoot every shot twice. They would shoot it once with rubber dolls so that the animators could sort of see approximately like what the size of these things should be and what it would look like when they fly across the room. And then they would shoot it again with nothing. They would just be kicking the thin air and stuff. But it was fun to watch like the behind the scenes of them like doing this fight scene with these like rubber dolls that are kind of in the shapes of the weasels and Roger Rabbit and stuff and flying them around the room. Looks like this was a fun movie to make. Hard movie, but fun as hell. They escape with the help of Benny the Cab, who is also Charles Fleischer voicing the cab. Same, oh. same voice as Roger Rabbit, yeah. I like the cab a lot. Out of my way, pencil neck. They hide out in the theater. There's an old goofy cartoon play, and I've seen this goofy cartoon. I remember a teacher showing it to us in school. And this is a good scene, too. This is where Eddie tells Roger about the death of his brother. Ugh. It reminds me of the gremlins dad gets stuck in the chimney scene. It's like kind of a creepily dark story. Mm -hmm. They were investigating something. They followed this guy to a warehouse and he ended up dropping a piano on his head and he said, I never found out who that guy was. All I remember was those burning red eyes, that squeaky high voice. It's creepy. So good. And we will get to see those things. And and Roger Rabbit sympathizes with him. He was like, I would hate me too. Yeah. <laughs> if a tune no killed my No wonder you brother. hate tunes. Also, the story is told in like one long continuous take with like a slow push in. And Roger's in the shot. And according to the commentary, it's the longest continuous animated shot mm. in the film. So basically, Eddie realizes he's got to go to Toontown. Toontown's fucking freaky to me. I got to be honest. It is freaky. Didn't seem like a fun place to me. It's got fun elements, but almost it's got like fun elements to, for sure. It's, but then it's got fucking creepy ass. It's elements. got hints of hell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then it also has like the trees singing and the rainbow. But you know what else it has? Lena Hyena. Mm-hmm. Oh man! Oh yeah, she was really scary. <laughs> I Lena forgot about her. We also ripped that one off. We for totally creepers. did. Mm-hmm. We had Quinn do the do the Lena Hyena line. Fun thing about Lena Hyena, real character. Originally, Lena uh, the Hyena came from the comic strip Little Abner. Little Abner, I know about because there is an abandoned theme park in Harrison, Arkansas, called Dog Patch USA, that is, is the- all themed. For Lil Abner. Really? What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lil Abner was the southern comic strip character. I do not know this at all. Isn't there another abandoned theme park that was all dinosaurs in Arkansas? That's two abandoned theme parks? Dude, this, is, this is like rides. I think the dinosaur one was too. You can go walk around in it. There's remnants of it. Belina Hyena came from Lil Abner. That was a fun thing to discover. She was said to be the ugliest woman in the world, so much so that anyone who saw her went mad. No sane person could even describe her appearance. She was so hideous, in fact, that the creator, 
the creator of Lil Abner, Al Cap, couldn't bear to render her and made a contest. You want to see a picture of her? Yeah. This is, oh my God, that feels- It's like truly disturbing. That feels problematic. Oh my God. Why? I don't like it. I don't like it. That's terrifying. And she's pretty terrifying in Roger Rabbit, too. Let me see it again. But not as terrifying as this. We we have to put that in a movie. I know it's awesome. It does kind of look. It does kind of look like Trish. Yeah, um, we nailed man. it. We nailed it with Trish. Oh man, very scary. The movie just continues to get scarier and scarier, which is another thing I love about the movie. It builds to really horrific stuff. We also in the sequence get to see a few cameos from Tweety Bird, Droopy the dog. We get Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny in the same shot together. That was cute. Yeah, it was cute. I didn't. I felt like the one effect that didn't hold up in this movie is the elevator gag when he's like smushed against uh, the seat with his little like yeah. clothes all smushed on the ground. I actually felt like all of Toontown wasn't the best because it's all kind of yeah, green screen. Yeah, when he's composited in, it looks rough. It doesn't work as well when he's the one real element of everything else. But they smartly don't spend a lot of time in Toontown. They get he gets out pretty quickly. Jessica ends up saving Eddie Valiant from getting shot. Judge Doom throws a bunch of dip down on the road. It fucks up Benny the cab. He ends up kidnapping all of them. Takes him to the Acme factory, and now we get our final sequence that is like still the fucking coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. I love this whole last sequence. It's so well done. So much. Yeah. It's so thrilling. Doom reveals his freeway plan. Eight lanes of shimmering cement running from here to Pasadena. Toontown Monster will be a string of gas stations, inexpensive motels, restaurants that serve rapidly prepared food, tire salons, automobile dealerships, and wonderful, wonderful billboards reaching as far as the eye can see. My God, it'll be beautiful. The most sinister thing you can possibly... Uh think of so sad. That, awesome. that's the best evil villain monologue of all time <laughs> yeah yeah he reveals this massive fucking machine that is like the dip mobile oh it's so scary that so he's sc- gonna use to literally wipe toontown off the face of the earth in three minutes or something yeah he in says. minutes yeah he slips on a bunch of eyeballs fake eyeballs they laugh it seems like one of his eyeballs pops out in the process too which i love one of these days you're gonna die laughing this gives eddie an idea he basically turns himself into a human cartoon to make these fucking real cartoons laugh. Yeah. He starts bouncing around. Or he goes back to his clowning days. Now Roger is his name. Laughter is his game. Come on, you dope. I'm tired, bro, but watch him go insane. <laughs> He's lost his mind. I don't think so. And apparently, um, Bob Hoskins really was like uh, had some circus training, and he like was a tumbler in a, in a circus when he was younger. Mm-hmm. Again, perfect casting. He was the perfect actor for this role. Yeah, he starts literally knocking them dead, <laughs> and this is creepy. It's creepy when they just yeah. die of laughter, and their little ghosts pop uh, out of themselves well, and float up. Well, this is the part. But the ghosts are still he, able to touch things and move. Things yeah, th- this is the part that reminds me of All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yes, one hundred percent. Eddie ends up accidentally magnetizing himself to a trash can. Dumbass. Judge, <laughs> Judge Doom uses this moment to get in a big-ass steamroller, 
looks cool as hell, but according to the commentary, the steamroller was made of lightweight aluminum and you could push it with your finger. The Whoa. entire smart, thing. Smart. It's awesome. Wow. Fucking cool. Just can you imagine getting to make a movie with all of these props and all of these sets and all this fucking money? Nope. It'll it never feels happen. Similar again. To it never, it'll never happen for <laughs> anybody. Anybody. It sounds it reminds me of Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is another one of those. They fight each other. There's a fun thing with the glue where he basically punches this glue canister and gets glue all over his hands. He ends up punching the the steamroller, getting his foot stuck to it, his hand stuck to it. And then we just watch his ass get runned over in a what is essentially a kid's movie. We watch what we think at this point is still a man mm-hmm. scream in agony as he gets rolled over from feet to head, and you see every inch of it. They don't cut away of really at all. No, you see his entire shocking. body get run over, and he's wiggling and writhing the whole way down. Mm-hmm. And it was fun in the commentary. They sort of explained like this shot: his legs are in a hole in the ground, and he's got fake legs. This shot: his entire body except for his head is in a hole in the ground and the the whole rest of the body is fake and then in the final shot it's like a profile shot of the wheel and they actually cut out the center of the wheel so that it could go over him while his head was still shaking that's scary was it actually christopher lloyd it was but remember the entire thing could be pushed with your finger it was Mm. very lightweight aluminum so like it wasn't very dangerous to to like do that stuff yeah and then this is like the coolest I'm so thankful that this exists in a movie. Mm-hmm. It runs over him. He's flattened on the ground, and then you see his fucking paper thin so hands pop up, and it's Dude, so fucking cool looking. This part reminds me of Evil Dead Two. Yeah, when his like dead girlfriend, when his dead yeah, because it's stop motion dancing mm-hmm. around like that yeah. feels like Judge Doom. And it's a combination because when he first peels off the floor, that's practical. That's like a practical puppet that they had. But then once he stands up, it then goes into stop motion. Holy smoke, he's a tomb! Surprise? Not really. That lame brain freeway idea could only be cooked up by a tomb. Not just a tomb! Sticks his mouth into like a helium tank and blows. And again, great insert shots. Of like his hands filling up and his mm-hmm. fucking feet filling up. His hat pops off of his head. His eyeballs fall out onto the ground and roll around. And then he turns around and he's got these beady red eyes and his little fucking like yellow patch of hair on the top of his head. <laughs> Remember me, Eddie? When I kill your brother, I talk. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, fucking awesome looking. Mm-hmm. He's got weapons for hands, so I don't know what kind of a cartoon is underneath this guy. That's no. true. I, he pulls I, his glove off, and it's a fucking anvil at first. I think this part this this feels weak to me. I don't know why. What? I think I I just don't like the the weapon hands. I do. Bums me out. What do you? He think? looks scary. What do you think, Corey? You think his anvil hand his yeah that i could have done without that too because mm-hmm. he was already blade? he was already creepy he was already this, awesome to me this part gets a little too cartoony agree and i think that if it wouldn't have been that it would have stayed scarier yeah like he's already a creep 
creep creep is I wanted it, like I wanted to to lean into the horror a little bit uh-huh. when they introduce him it's horrific but then when he yeah. can change his hand into yes. any shape yep. it starts to lose a little I bit I did of the think oomph. the same thing Here's why I like it here's why I like that's it That's why the, I'm the, best friends with Corey <laughs> That's why she's that's my right. one Here's what works about it for me I can understand your complaints but the pacing of it the slow like he grabs his hand you know, and then it's an anvil, and then he turns slowly around, and then when he comes back out, it's a saw blade. It's just like the pacing of it with the music and the way it's slowly like, dunt, dunt. You know, it's not fast. That's why I like it. It's like it is still slowly building the dread with all the cartoon elements of it, and he's walking really slowly to him and like zipping it on the ground and cutting the chains and stuff. But get all, it. All you like love it. you love cartoons, and Justin and I love elevated horror. It's like, what can we say? We have and artistic the, taste and intelligent integrity. sensibility, and you're the still music stuck. is making the you're scene. A 30, you're a child, thirty-five year old, stuck in the body of an, a fourteen-year-old. We get it. We get it. No we, further explanation needed. We understand. We accept you. We love you. That's why we're here. We show up every day to support you. <laughs> Let you sing your little songs, mm-hmm. and we uh, we listen. We, along. This podcast is actually uh, it's a medical therapy for Jack. <laughs> Jack is actually in an insane asylum, mm-hmm. and this yeah. is the that volunteer would be such work a funny we do. Reveal, yeah, <laughs> that I'm in an insane asylum. But this is like a therapy thing that like the doctors are forcing us to yeah. do. Jack and, and I are actually psychologists. Like and subscribe. <laughs> Yeah. Because you're actually looking for the body of somebody that I've like <laughs> hidden somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> please. We are literally. Confess. We're detectives. You. We're begging you to subscribe. <laughs> Help us save someone's life. Um, Help us solve this murder. No, I think all the before things he kills you, again. All the thing that things that you're describing are great. I just think you know maybe if they gave him. Another element that was as iconic as the rest of his vibe as the weapon, you know, or he just, he had one thing, but... Well, it kind of makes you think, though, because at one point, too, it reveals his eyes, and then his eyes pop out of his face as daggers. I know, I don't like that. But that that's giving you a hint of like what kind of a cartoon yeah. he is underneath. Yeah, he's, he's some sort weapon, of like he's a weapon monster. Yeah, T one thousand kind of like yeah, d- d- dagger weapon cartoon demon. Yeah, Eddie ends up opening up the fucking dip machine and spraying him across the ground, emptying this thing out all over the floor. He melts like the Wicked Witch of the Wets. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I have a theory here in the movie. He starts going like. I'm melting! I'm melting! Whoa, 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 whoa! My theory is is that he was saying, what a world, like the Wicked Witch does. Mm. But for whatever reason, they got boned on that or something, and they had to dub him. Because his mouth doesn't look like he's going, wah, wah. His mouth kind of looks like he's saying, what a world, what a world! So I wonder if they got screwed on something. Could be. I'm kind of glad though. I like Wawa better than What a World. What a World's mm-hmm. almost too much of a of a. No, that's lame. <laughs> and maybe ultimately they were just like, "It's lame. Let's dub in something else in his mouth." Dip machine crashes through the wall. Immediately gets smashed by a cartoon train. Uh, another thing I learned from the commentary: if you pause and step frame through that, you will see that all the train cars on the train have silhouettes of tunes getting murdered. Ooh. Which I did. I stepped through them all. There's tunes getting stabbed, shot, 
hung, strangled. Jesus. This is the guy who helped create Tales from the Crypt. He's a horror guy. He likes these little dark, humorous jokes. I think it was just a way for him to have a little fun. Mm-hmm. Also funny thing here, Jessica Rabbit says to Roger Rabbit, she says, Roger, you are magnificent, better than Goofy. <gasps> She's had a relationship with Goofy and Roger? No. Or maybe she just knows that Roger really admires Goofy and she's like, you're better than Goofy. Mm-hmm. Roger's kind of like Pete Davidson. Dude, <laughs> do not compare him to Pete Davidson. That's disgusting. Am I wrong though? I'm kind of on to I Sarah. get it. I get it. No. Is that you wouldn't imagine that he would get all yeah. these hot babes, I, but he's a comedian and so he he's does. He's weird looking, but he's clearly must be funny about, and he's got he something must that have they a like. Big dick. Betty Boop liked Roger too. Betty Boop also said, "Like she's a lucky girl." Yeah. So Roger's got something that the tunes like, just like Pete Davidson. Does. Okay. Yeah. Go. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And maybe that means Roger's got a huge hog. You know what they say about rabbits? You know they fuck like rabbits. Fuck, fuck like bunnies. <laughs> the remnants of Judge Doom are cool. They're disgusting. His like melted little rubber mask. Mm-hmm. All the red and and green all over. And yeah, the cartoons all come like all you get all these Disney cartoons: Pinocchio, Bugs, Donald, Mickey, fucking Wiley Coyote, Yosemite Sam. They're all there. They they gather around the, his corpse and they say, "I wonder who he really was." Guess we'll never know. It's an in he, it's an incel because you know cartoons are cells. He's an incel, and he's involuntarily a cell. Mm-hmm. A cartoon cell. Mm-hmm. He probably, I mean, he clearly hates himself mm-hmm. as a cartoon if he hates his own kind. I went to Google and someone on a forum asked who Judge Doom was. And someone said, Now we're going to get the real answer. And <laughs> NDP, who's a charter member of this forum, says he okay. wasn't supposed to be a known animated character like Mickey Mouse or Bugs Bunny, the character who called himself. Judge Doom was a deranged, self-hating toon who apparently failed to make it as a cartoon character in Hollywood. So he disguised himself as a human and tried to make himself powerful and rich so he can wipe out Toontown and thus all traces of his real heritage. Mm. Mm. I mean, I like that theory. He's saying it like that's his definitive Mm -hmm. answer to this guy. But that's, you know, that's cool. Do you have a theory? No. I don't. I'm not versed enough in cartoons to be able to like have a theory on who it could be. Yeah, I can't think of any cartoons that have fucking buzz saws for hands mm-hmm. and daggers for eyes, well, or even have red eyes and high pitched voices. Yeah, I think it, whether they knew or whether they didn't, it's just fun to have something that doesn't have an answer but makes you speculate and guess yeah. and try to figure it out. But it would be kind of cool if they were like hinting that it was Mickey Mouse, mm. you know, or somebody. Well, like what that. motive would Mickey have? Maybe it's Steamboat Willie, who, who in this world is like, was dethroned by yeah. Mickey Mouse or was like Mickey Mouse's twin brother or something. I like that. That makes sense. And he's mad that he's not like left behind. Yeah. They find Acme's will. They realize it was on this love letter that Roger Rabbit had written and he had, he had uh, done it in disappearing ink and he gives the town of Toontown <laughs> to the tunes. <laughs> and then, um, we get our final little thing where, uh, Roger Rabbit says, say, Eddie, you think the days of being a sourpuss are over? And he says, does this answer your question? And he gives him a big old kiss. 
smile, darn ya, smile. Oh, and this is also a funny thing. Porky Pig says, turns around to camera and he says, that's all, folks. And then he goes, hey, that sounds pretty good. So this was the origin story of That's All, folks? I think that's mm-hmm. what this whole movie was. He hadn't come up with it at this point? Nope. Very interesting. Another thing they said in the commentary that because <laughs> Porky Pig is a WB character and this is a Disney movie, they were like, you can't end the movie on Porky Pig saying That's All, folks. Tinkerbell. So they had to they had to throw in Tinkerbell in there to give like a little fairy dust. Dude, right what, what a stupid little like e- ego <laughs> fight. <laughs> you can't. But hey, the fact that they were able to, you, they would never even probably do that today in terms never. of letting them mix. No. Never. And I think it sounds like that was all Spielberg. Spielberg had the, he <laughs> Once went again, in. again, Spielberg is truly the most powerful man. He in went in there and convinced them all to do it. It's wild. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back to talk final thoughts on who framed Roger Rabbit. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking final thoughts on who framed Roger Rabbit. Did you who? notice that there's not a question mark in the title? What? Hmm. But it kind of bugs me. It's a question. It sounds like one to me, but there's no question mark. Here's a fun uh, Jessica Rabbit trivia. With the, la- with the Laserdisc release of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Variety reported in March 1994 that Jessica was depicted nude for a few frames of animation, undetectable when played at the usual rate of 24 frames per second, but visible when advancing through the film frame by frame. Snopes mm. examined it and reported that although a scene does exist where Jessica's dress is hiked up and her underwear disappears for a few frames, it could be either intentional or a coloration error. The scene drove sales of the Laserdisc release. Many retailers reported that due to reports on the nudity from the media, including CNN and newspapers, their entire inventories of the Laserdisc release sold out in minutes. Wow. We are pervs. Freaks. We're all a bunch of pervs, and we should be proud of it. Mm -hmm. Corey, I'm going to start with you. Final thoughts on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the 1988 film by Robert Zemeckis. I mean, I kind of said it at the beginning of this movie. This It gave me such feel-good vibes. I wasn't sure. I thought I was going to like it, like revisiting it, but I wasn't sure if it was going to feel too much like a kid's movie, and right. it didn't. It didn't. It felt fun to watch as a full-grown-ass adult. I had a really good time. Um, the acting in it is so good. The storytelling is so fun. The visuals are great. I had a blast. I would recommend this to 
to anyone to revisit. Justin, how about you? Justin always takes such a pause. Well, I want to he... think I about it. what I I'm love saying. it. I love it. I love it. Well, I wanted to validate you. <laughs> Thank per- you. Perfectly said. Thank um, you. Justin's a fucking wife guy with me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Go on. I had a blast rewatching this. I'm glad you suggested it because it was on on my short list and um I was bummed to think that we wouldn't get to this until next year, but I'm really happy we revisited it. I think it's a super underrated movie mm-hmm. today. I don't think a lot of people are still talking about this. It's a weird world where you have a live action and a cartoon mm-hmm. genre melding together in a way that I just don't think is on people's radars. You know, it's just not what you think of for a Saturday night Netflix stream with your friends or your partner or whatever you know so i just feel like it's a movie that might get lost over time without people trying to preserve it Uh, it makes me happy that they're still re-releasing it that there's a 4k version of it that just came out like you know like i've said for the last few weeks i'm out of town in vermont i'm watching it with a group of people of all ages Nobody, I was wondering about this. Nobody has seen the, the movie. I watched it with six people in their early <sighs> 20s. No one has seen this movie. The whole time I'm watching it with them, I'm like, how are they going to react to <laughs> yeah. this? Because there's a lot. It's a group that's like very thoughtful, very you know sensitive to content that's that's outdated. And they had a fucking blast. They Hell all yeah. th- At the end of the movie, they all thanked me and they were like, thank you for suggesting this. I've never seen this before. There was like rap music that they listened to that sampled quotes from Roger Rabbit. Mm. And multiple times someone was like, oh, that's where that line comes from. Wow. I was like, what is this music that you're- Was it my opening rap song that they heard like a a previous cut of or something? In your dreams. (laughs) <laughs> uh so that was that was kind of fun to to see like you know because i introduced i went i gave like a two minute speech before the movie <laughs> i told them i was like uh, the a little bit of the history of the movie and the context and what the movie meant to me when i was a kid and i watched it and how i grew like this is the kind of stuff that shapes who we are this is what we grew up on and for a whole yeah, other totally. generation to see it um, knowing like the kind of co- cartoons that exist today or the, yeah. the type of Pixar movies that exist today. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt very special to to experience it with a new generation. So I love that. I, I loved it. They loved it. It felt like um, proof that this is a this is going to be a timeless master. It's going to remain a timeless masterpiece. I agree. I don't really want a movie like this to to uh, be remade or, or to make more movies like Roger Rabbit. I feel like this is a kind of movie that I kind of just want this one movie like this. It's perfect as it is. But what I would love to see is more movies capture the sort of like vibe of this movie, the mm-hmm. sort of atmosphere, the tone, the feeling that I get when I watch it. I think that's something to strive for. If anything, like if, if if the world of film, modern film could take from this movie is like, just capture that. Don't try to remake this movie or do this like cartoon live action thing again. That's not going to be good. But No, it'll be awful for sure. <laughs> but I, I just wish I, I, I brought up Don Bluth cartoons at the beginning of this podcast. Like 
I'm not the biggest cartoon fan in the world. I do love cartoons. I appreciate them. And I think I wish that American cartoons today were just as prolific as uh, Japanese cartoons or just as prolific as American cartoons used to be. I think it's really sad that we've moved into a world that's only computer generated Mm -hmm. cartoons. I think we lose something with that. And I am 100% all for positivity in cartoons. I think we need to model uh, expressing emotions and love and all of this stuff for children. But I do also think we lost something uh, by by not leaning into a little bit more darkness for children. Mm-hmm. I, I think Roger Rabbit and the, those Don Bluth cartoons had an element of, of that more reckless spirit that we used to be willing to to show our children and and now we're not. And so I can't wait. I cannot wait to show my kids mm-hmm. all that shit. And I just hope that for any people in animation who are listening, you look at movies like Roger Rabbit and All Dogs Go to Heaven and Five Will Goes West and Secret of Nim and Brave Little Toaster and you put a little bit of death and a little bit of darkness and a little bit of despair in your stuff because I do think that that makes some pretty well-rounded people you know yeah and they can handle it not to be a that's curmudgeon. what movies are for not to be an old curmudgeon no well now that we've said everything there is to say about roger rabbit what do you say we play the who framed these actors quiz <laughs> what is this gonna be i tell you what an actor has been framed for Wait, in real life? In real life? No. In the movie. movie. Okay. I would tell be you better the, about the real life. I tell one. you what the actor's been framed for, and you tell me the movie. Okay. Question number one. Ashley Judd is framed for the murder of her Corey, husband. Corey, double jeopardy. Ding, ding, wow. ding. Love that movie. Discovers a twisted legal loophole that will allow her to exact revenge. Okay. Question number two. Arnold Schwarzenegger is framed for a mass shooting. It must prove his innocence while fighting in a televised game of death. Justin, the running man. Ding, ding, ding. One to one, head to head. This is a tight battle, You, you got Judd, I got, I got Arnie. <laughs> Question no, number three. Nobody knows more about Arnie than me. Nobody knows more about <laughs> Judd than you. <laughs> You're the Judd expert. <laughs> Is Double Jeopardy T- real? T2, T2, T- T- Judgment Day. <laughs> Ashley Judgment <God>. Day. <laughs> Question number three. Richard Gere must face the seedy aspects of his taboo profession after he is framed for Corey, the murder of American one of his Gigolo. clients. Ding, ding, ding. Very good. Question number four. Samuel L. Jackson is framed for the murder of his best friend. It must take uh, hostages to clear Corey, his name. Corey, Corey, uh, uh, I said this for an answer last week. Corey, you must take hostages I to know, clear his the, name. Justin. The negotiator, the negotiator. <sighs> ding, ding, ding. Okay, three to one, Corey's lead. Question number. <laughs> <laughs> Question number five. Sylvester Stallone. <sighs> and Kurt Russell are rival police officers who must team up after they are both framed for a crime they didn't commit. 
Did I guess this one last week too? No. no. Sylvester Stallone. And Kurt Russell. Uh-huh. Rival police officers uh-huh. who must team up. I know what movie you're talking about because we watched it kind of not that recently. Er, After er, they're recent. both framed for a crime they didn't. <sighs> I don't know what it's called. Can't think of any action movies that star Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell? I'll give you a hint. The movie might be their names. Not their actors' names, but the characters' names. Sylvester and Kurt. <laughs> Smith and Smith. Uh, nope. Okay, go. We Tango and Cash. Never in a thousand huh. years. I've heard of it. <laughs> it's a fun one. Corey's still in the lead. Three, two, one. Question number six. Tom Cruise finds he is framed for a murder he's not yet committed. Corey! Jo- oh. Minority Report. Too fast. <laughs> Too fast. Question number seven. Cary Grant is an ordinary man who is mistaken for a spy and framed for murder. Justin. In this timeless thriller. Uh, North, North by, by North, Northwest. Northwest. Justin got it. Okay, final question. That's the move, the move. That's the what? The first time Jack ever touched my boobs was when we watched that. What? <laughs> on purpose or on accident? He, brought, oh, he was getting up to... She actually put my hand Jack, on you... her. What was it about that movie that you felt that was the appropriate time? <laughs> I didn't. She she felt it, so ask her. She Moving took my hand on, and put them on, put it on, on her. This is, you're adding too many details. I can add one funny little thing. You're adding too many details for the <laughs> It was just Justin Fine. Final question, and this one is worth eight points because it is the eighth question. Elizabeth Moss finds herself institutionalized while Corey, trying to prove. Invisible man. Invisible Corey, woman or man. Invisible man. Corey wins the Who Framed the Actor quiz. Thank you. Good job. You're in. Thanks. Thank you. That was a pretty easy quiz, I got to say. Fuck you. I'm just because I won. No. You are the antithesis of a wife man. Wife guy. Wife guy. <laughs> For a limited time only, subscribe to our Patreon and get exclusive access to Jack and Corey's court <laughs> divorce records. <laughs> Here, minute by minute transcripts. Of <laughs> he said, uh, she said. Uh, Watch Jack lose it all as Corey yeah. wins. <laughs> well, that, my friends, is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials. Those are our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about all sorts of shit. We talk about more than just what's in our collection. We talk about new movies. We talk about movies we've never seen before. We make top five lists. We talk about scenes. We talk about trips we go on. We get loose. We get loosey-goosey on the Patreons, y'all. Sign up if you're not a part of it. You won't regret it. There's tons of stuff on there. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. Hey, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Well, any other ones that are out there, guys, subscribe to them. And get ready, folks, because starting next week, 
the spooky season is officially upon us, which means all month of October we are doing horror movies. And we got a special one to kick things off. We are doing the 1999 Tim Burton classic, Sleepy Hollow, with a very special guest. Hey, and as always, folks, (laughs) keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later, y'all. Oh, God, that was awful. (laughs) (laughs) Corey, say goodbye. See you later. Bye. Bye, y'all.